Uh, today's scripture reading comes from Galatians 2, 6, uh, 14, and three twenty eight. It says, and from those who seem to be influential, um, what they make, they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys again here at The Way. I hope you've been well. In the conversation of racism in America, some have pointed out how the American church has been complicit in and has perpetuated a system of racial injustice. And I believe that is true. So some churches now have taken on the issue of racial injustice as one of their primary missions believing that this is a kind of injustice that the Church of Jesus is called to stand up against. There are others, however, who feel all this focus on racial injustice is distracting the Church from its primary mission to proclaim the gospel. That though all this work for social justice is good and needed, that is not the primary work of the Church to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. And to be sure, I think there are some churches that have have lost that primary focus and have adopted what I would call a social gospel. Now, we obviously want to avoid the extremes of completely ignoring racial injustice or embracing it at the expense of the gospel. But, you know, we don't have to choose between these two. In fact, I believe it is the gospel itself that grounds equips, guides, and empowers the church to address issues like racial injustice. The gospel must be primary, and it speaks to and has application for issues like this today. And today I I hope to look at one of those aspects of how the gospel speaks to racism. Last week we noticed how we don't naturally drift into inclusivity. We like to stay with people a lot like ourselves. Uh, Today is our second in a little two-part series titled Not Like Us. And last week we saw how the Spirit prompted the early church to cross barriers and reach Ethiopian eunuchs, Jewish persecutors, Roman centurions. We also mentioned how the gospel gives us a humility and the grace and strength to become, from within, more gracious, more inclusive people. Well, the main idea today is that the gospel changes how we see people. It changes what we notice, what's important to us, what's not important to us. It changes how we treat one another. And we're going to look at two scenes from the book of Galatians to see how the gospel changed Paul and how he saw and valued people. Scene one, Paul meets Peter, James, and John. Now, think back to the early church. Peter, James, and John. These were the apostles. 
These were the leaders of the early church, positions of power and influence. And these were the people that Jesus himself had chosen and for three years lived with and taught and discipled them. You know, we have a pretty strong celebrity culture here, and I think that has come into the church as well. And so I want you to imagine you're with uh, having an evening with Rick Warren, Francis Chan, John Piper, and Tim Keller at the table, and there's you. Like, it's hard not to be a little uh, overwhelmed, right? It's a little starstruck. Or suppose you're at this other event, and there's Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, and Elon Musk. I mean, these uber-wealthy pioneers who have revolutionized our world, and you. How would you feel? Right? It's We'd be overwhelmed, I'm sure. I, we get pretty excited about sightings of far more modest celebrities. Well, scene two. Peter has been eating with Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers, but then some Jews, Jewish believers came to town and he, as it were, took his lunch tray to go sit with the Jewish believers. And maybe to us that doesn't mean much, but embedded in that action was a very important and dangerous message. Uh, you see, at that time, the, there was this teaching around in Galatia saying that to become a follower of Jesus meant you had to become a Jew. And the idea was, well, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. All the disciples were Jews. This Jesus thing, it's a Jewish movement. And so if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, makes sense, <laughs> you need to become a Jew. Which meant non-Jews, Gentile believers, were second class. For both scenes, Paul had a very different lens, a very different perspective. When he met Peter, James, and John, notice Galatians 2.6, it says, And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, whom seemed influential added nothing to me. And Paul recognizes Hey, God doesn't make a big deal about Peter, James, and John, about these apostles or leaders of the church. It says God shows no partiality. He doesn't treat them any differently than the non-apostles or the, the non-church leaders. It's like Paul met John Piper and Tim Keller and said, you know, they seemed influential, but I don't know. Didn't make any difference to me. It's not that important. It's not a big deal. When Paul saw Peter move his lunch tray away from the Gentile believers to sit with the Jewish believers, he recognized that message that it sent and confronted him. He said, Peter, what you're doing is not in line with the truth of the gospel, because you're essentially saying it's Jesus plus becoming a Jew. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. We see that in uh, chapter 2, 14. I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He was saying, 
you don't even keep all the laws and keep all the rules, and we don't have to anymore. We don't have to live like Jews. This Jew-Gentile thing, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't, and, and you know, Peter should have known better, right? Last week we referenced that scene at when Peter had a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven with all these unclean foods. Foods Jews were not supposed to eat pork chops, bacon, all this stuff. And there was a voice that says, eat. And Peter said, no, I don't eat unclean food. I, I never have and I won't. But the voice said, do not call unclean what God has made clean. And then notice what Peter says in Acts 10, 34. It says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. No partiality. No partiality between apostles and non-apostles. Unclean food and clean food, Jewish food. Between Jews and Gentiles, God doesn't discriminate. God doesn't treat them differently. And so he pours out his Holy Spirit upon the Gentiles as well. The Jew-Gentile thing, it doesn't matter. Now, for some of us, maybe we've heard this and that sounds all so familiar, but if you would, just pause and consider what this means. Especially for a guy like Paul. Because Paul wasn't just a Jew, he was a zealous Jew. He was a Pharisee. That meant he was part of the respected religious leadership of his day. These were the people who were devoted to studying the law and observing the law. I mean, that's what his life was about. He had devoted his life to studying and following the law. And now he's saying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter I might as well have been a pagan, a heathen. I might as well have been a Gentile, because it doesn't matter. Now, this is this is huge. It's like saying you go to church every week, your entire life. You read the Bible, you pray, you go on mission trips, you share your faith with others, you've devoted your life to quote, being a good Christian, doing all the right things, and now it's saying, it doesn't matter. You might as well have been an atheist. None of that matters. It's like you're trying to be a good person. You show kindness and respect to all kinds of people. You're inclusive of marginalized people. You work against systemic racism. Maybe you've been a part of some protests and you, you know, you're advocating for these things. And, and Paul's saying, it doesn't matter. None of that counts. You might as well have been a selfish bigot. It doesn't matter. I mean, this was earth-shattering for Paul. He had devoted his life to being a law-following Jew. Now he says, it's a waste. Notice how he expresses it in Philippians 3 circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It's saying, all this stuff, uh, I had all this monopoly money. You know, I had boardwalk and park place and I bought houses and hotels. I mean, I invested, I deposited so much. And now I realize it's just monopoly. I can, it doesn't actually have any real value. It doesn't matter. The gospel takes away 
something we thought we had, something that we thought had value, something that we thought gave us significance, gave us worth, and now it's it's gone. There is a sense of bankruptcy. And that's how I felt when the gospel was becoming more clear to me. I had already been a pastor for a good number of years, and I remember thinking, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait I have spent my life trying to be a good Christian, right? Trying to follow the Bible and teach the Bible and study the Bible and, 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 and obey it. And I, I give other career ambitions. I, I serve the church. I, I, I've forfeited various comforts. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor. What do you mean it doesn't matter? Come on, all of this. Is, it's got to mean something. It's got to count for something. What do you mean it's monopoly money? What do you mean? It's worthless. See, it was a rude awakening for Paul, as it was for myself, to say, might as well have been a Gentile. I might as well have been an atheist. I might as well have been a bigot. Might as well have been a selfish hedonist, because none of it mattered. Now, I should make a caveat that in Christ, our good works do have value. Our obedience does matter. Faith should produce good works. And those good works do have value. But by ourselves, our own efforts, our own good works don't have any value. It doesn't count. It doesn't matter. Apostle, non-apostle, law-keeping Jew, lawless Gentile, these don't matter anymore. Paul uh, summarizes his view in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's saying all these categories that we used to have, it doesn't matter anymore. The church is to be a place where these distinctions don't matter. There is a new inclusive society, a new identity A new way of seeing and treating one another. It doesn't mean that gender doesn't exist or ethnicity doesn't exist. Of course they exist. Paul is not nullifying these distinctions. In Revelations we see um, people from every tribe and nation will come to worship God. It's not that the differences don't exist. It's that we don't treat or value people differently based on these categories. There is no partiality. Impartial. Today, obviously, we don't make a big deal about whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or apostle or non-apostle. Those are not our categories. We have different categories, right? When we look at people, we probably see, you know, men, women, older, younger, maybe Caucasian, Asian, Latino, or African-American, Straight, LGBTQ+. Maybe we see a Clippers fan versus Lakers fan, or Android versus Apple, or or rich and famous versus uh, not so rich and famous, or athletic, attractive, or not athletic, not attractive, you know, creative, artistic, not creative, not artistic, good and moral people, bad and not so moral people like we have categories and in one sense 
That's just how our brains try to manage what would otherwise be an overwhelming amount of information. The problem isn't necessarily that we have categories, but that we treat people differently based on the categories we put them in. Seeing people through the lens of the gospel means learning to see things from God's perspective. It means valuing what God values, not valuing what God does not value. And that is a lifelong process of learning and unlearning. It, it means it doesn't matter to us whether someone is rich or poor. We don't discriminate. Yeah, we recognize the difference, but we don't treat the poor any less than the rich. We don't treat the African-American or the Latino any differently than the Caucasian or the Asian. We don't treat the immoral any differently than we treat the moral or the good and the righteous. In fact, when we look at the life of Jesus, right, he was he was friends. He welcomed and embraced those whom the religious leaders shunned away. And maybe for some of us, we feel this like I that we're not righteous, that we're not good people. We've we have our share of mistakes and regrets. We've got skeletons in our closet, and we're not like all these good church people that we see around us. And I I think God would say, honestly, that's not the way I see it. I don't see these good, righteous people and immoral people. I don't see apostles and non-apostles, law-keeping Jews and lawless Gentiles. I just see sinners who need grace. That the gospel puts us all on a level playing field. There's no looking up. There's no looking down. We're all in the same boat. We all need God's grace. And the gospel teaches us to view ourselves and to view others that way. So that we don't treat the mailman any differently than the millionaire. We don't treat the high school dropout any differently than the the Harvard grad. We don't treat the prostitute any differently than the preacher. We don't look up. We don't look down. We are in the same boat. We see things from God's perspective. So what are our categories? What What are the things we notice about people? Because what we notice, I think, reveals what we care about, what matters to us. Years ago, when I was in Philadelphia, uh, there was a Caucasian guy who invited his Jamaican friend to our predominantly Korean-American church. I thought that was so cool. Uh, But later I found out that the parents of the Jamaican friend uh, didn't say anything about, you know, us being predominantly Korean and said, but isn't that a Presbyterian church? <laughs> like we see and care about different things. You walk into a really nice mansion, beautiful home, and some people are just, again, starstruck by the wealth of the owner. Other people, they don't see the wealth, but they see the, the golf tournament trophies or the the Harvard diplomas on the wall for them, for the owners and for all their kids. <laughs> They're so impressed. And other people, they don't see the house or the trophies or the diplomas. They see someone who loves Jesus. Like, what do you see? What do you notice? 
What are your categories? Because your categories are different from mine, different from others. We notice different things. What are we impressed by? Like, for me, I value for myself, like, I want to be a, a good moral person, a person of character, a person uh, who does the right things, who follows the Bible and is faithful to it. But, you know, that I, I know some other people who, they, they want to be fun, <laughs> fun and funny and they're hilarious and they're fun to be with and there are other people who are really intelligent very sophisticated well read there are other people who they they, they don't care about they, they want to be a good parent and have a beautiful family and other people who just want to be a winner they hate losing like what are the categories that you have and then why those categories why those? Because again, we all have different categories. I think some of it comes from our upbringing, our culture, our parents, our peers, maybe the, the stories we hear or the media we consume. Sure, there are lots of things that affect what we value, but more fundamentally, why do we value these things? It's because I think we're trying to find a way to be significant. We are trying to justify ourselves. And we found these different aspects as a way to say, see, I'm, I'm special. I'm, I, I, I have these virtues, these values. I, I, this is what makes me stand out. This is what gives me significance. The value system we use to see others, regard others, is probably also the value system we use to regard ourselves. In other words, we can't just tell ourselves, don't matter, don't care about these categories anymore. Don't stop valuing people based on these categories because there's something deeper going on. We have massive self-salvation projects. So how do we change that? How do we change our value system? It's not because we just tell ourselves to. I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. How were, were his categories changed? How was his value system so profoundly changed? I want you to think about, you know, earlier in his life, Paul was a zealous Jew who thought Jesus was a false teacher and his followers were essentially a cult a danger and threat to Orthodox Judaism. And so he sought to persecute the Christians, to, to kill Christians. He gets a warrant, goes to Damascus to try to find these Christians, but on the way he sees a light, hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And in that encounter, Paul's world was flipped upside down. His category is just exploded everything changed because everything he thought was wrong he thought that jesus was a false teacher who died as a condemned criminal and that he paul had the truth only to find out that jesus not only jesus had the truth but jesus was the messiah whom God raised from the dead, showing him to be Lord, the Christ. Paul thought that the Jesus followers were God's 
enemies, that this was a dangerous cult. Only to find out that they actually were following the true Jesus, the, the, the true God, the Messiah, and that he was opposing them. He was the enemy. They weren't the enemy of God. He was the enemy of God. And then he realized that, okay, those who he thought were God's enemies were God's friend, and he was God's enemy. And then he realized God loves his enemies. God loves his enemies. God loved Paul while he was literally persecuting the church. And Paul never got over that. He never got over. He was, he was, it utterly changed him that God would receive him while he was an enemy of God. That, that blew his categories. Because now he saw God didn't love him for his law-keeping zeal, for his Pharisee of Pharisees. That, that had nothing to do with it. God didn't love him for, for what he did for Paul. God loved Paul while Paul was his enemy. Paul was transformed by grace, blew his categories, changed his value system. It was grace that encountered Paul, forgave Paul, and adopted Paul into God's family. And that meant nothing else mattered. Law-keeping didn't matter. <laughs> Phariseeism didn't matter. Male, women, rich, poor, nothing, nothing else mattered. And it gave Paul a sense, a new sense of significance. He didn't need his massive self-salvation project because now he saw that God justified him, accepted him, loved him, embraced him. Now he has significance and value, not from being a Pharisee, not from being rich and successful, not from any of these other means, but by God's grace. That's the story that matters. And that's the story that shows none of these other categories matter to God. And now it doesn't matter to Paul that he's learned to see things from God's perspective. And he was able to let go of those old value systems because he has something better. The true and living God has loved him and accepted him. He has enough worth. He doesn't need to justify himself. He doesn't need to find his significance somewhere else. You see, it is a gospel that changes our values, changes our categories, how we regard ourselves, and it changes how then we regard others. And that's how the gospel changes us to become a new and inclusive community that embraces genuinely from within people not like us. So let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, there is uh, so much to learn and unlearn. I like I find I can't help but have my categories and, and be attracted and value certain kind of people over other kind of people. And yet that's not the way you value people. That's not the way you see people. And that's not the way you saw me. So I pray, Lord, that you would show us, show us how you see us, how you value us. Not because of all these good things, but even while we were your enemies, 
And may that grace implode our categories, transform our value system, free us from our self-salvation projects, and helps us see ourselves and others from your gracious perspective. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.